Genesis chapter 1. I'll give you a while to find that. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. Let's begin where God begins. A new series of messages today. God, family, government, church. God, family, government, and church. Genesis 1 and 26, and God said, Let us, the Trinity, make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them, plural. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Chapter 2 and verse 7, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living soul. Verse 18, and the Lord God said, it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. And in verse 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And you may be seated. There are many different institutions in our society, but there's only three institutions that are of divine origin, that Almighty God established himself. And we find them in the Bible clearly laid out with their roles and their responsibilities. The family was the first institution, followed by government or the state. And then lastly, in the New Testament, we have the church. What God's Word says about each of these is vitally, vitally important. Each of them has a God-assigned role. Each of them have God-assigned responsibilities. And they have relationships to each other. Each of them is to respect the rights of the other. And for us as Christians, it is vital for us to understand these three institutions, their roles, their responsibilities, their purposes, the family, the government, and the church. And we can't understand the headlines of our paper or the morning news on television. We won't have a very good grasp of what is really happening behind the scenes in all these areas unless we understand these three divinely ordained institutions. And today in our culture, very few are looking at it from a biblical perspective. And so they don't understand it. They only see the happenings, the events themselves, but they don't understand why and who and what and how, especially from a biblical perspective. Now, at Florence Christian School, where we educate our young people, The emphasis there is upon establishing a biblical worldview in our children. People often say to me, why should I pay the money to send my child to a Christian school? Because your child will develop 
a biblical way of looking at and interpreting life at our school, or hopefully they will. We'll, we'll certainly give them the opportunity to do so. And in the church, that's my same objective. My goal today is to, to teach and train the congregation that God has given me as a stewardship, that I teach and train that congregation of believers to look at their family, at the government around them today, and at our church, to look at it from a biblical perspective. The old prophet in the Old Testament, his name was Hosea. In the fourth chapter of Hosea, it says something like this, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What a powerful, powerful verse. My people, the people of Israel specifically to whom he was called to preach, my people are destroyed because of their lack of knowledge about what is happening in society, what is, in fact, happening in the country. A man said to me not too long ago, a few months ago, he said, man, when I listen to you preach, he said, I feel like I'm watching Fox News. And he didn't say it in a complimentary way. He was not happy with me. And I said, you know what? It might shock you, but I don't listen to Fox News near as much as I did at one time in my life. I might listen to the news on one of the cable stations for a few minutes. I don't watch CNN. I'm too smart for them. I'm way over their head. But I watch, uh, I watch news in various places. And, but I try not to, I've weaned myself off of it to a great degree. I'm not near as interested in what is happening as understanding what is happening from God's perspective. That's more important, isn't it? And so I don't want it to sound like a newscast, a, a current events program when you come here. I have a responsibility. If you understand the Bible, you would understand that responsibility. My responsibility as a pastor of the Word of God is to take a Bible in this hand and take the news, what's happening in the culture, and whatever area it might be, it doesn't matter what, economics, education, uh, business, whatever it may be. And I, I see the events of the day, and then I take my Bible and I interpret the events of the day through the Scripture. And if I do that, I feel I have done my job as a preacher. And if I fail to do that, and I take the Bible over here and compartmentalize it and put it over here in a little separate compartment, and then you come to church, and what is said from the pulpit has no relevancy, no relationship, whatever, with ha what is happening in our culture, then y you're not going to be able to respond to the events of, of, of your life in a biblical way. And, and I, I just think that's the great failure of the pulpit today is, is we're not making the Word of God relevant for the people of our congregation so that they think on a biblical, in a, in a biblical mode, if you will. And so today we began the series, and I really hope that you will uh, grasp in, in, in depth what I'm trying to say. Number one, my first point is that God began not with an institution, but with an individual. One man, you know his name was Adam. 
Yes, we believe in a literal account of creation at this church. Yes, we believe that God created a male human being first and then the female second, and that he married them in chapter 2 and put them in paradise to live. Now, so God began with this individual, Adam. And in Genesis 1, he gives a series of commands. And if you want to make a note there in your Bible, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, I've written in the margin of my Bible the dominion mandate. Now, some scriptures have a name. They've been given a name because they're so important. The Sermon on the Mount, the Great Commission. This one has a name too, and it may not be as well known, but it's as important, believe me. In fact, many people called it the first great commission because as the great commission is for everyone, the dominion mandate is for everyone. And in this mandate, God says to Adam, now that I've created you and placed you in the world, I want you to have dominion, rulership, authority over every other living thing on the planet. The environmentalists today would tell us that the life of some other living creature would be as important as a man. Oh, no, 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 not from the Bible. Man was given dominion over all the other creatures. And if you'll read in verse 28, God blessed him and said, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion, rulership, authority over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So God gave Adam authority to rule over the entire creation, and we call that the dominion mandate. It's never been abrogated. It's still in authority. It still stands to this day that man is to rule over the physical universe. I often use what is called a defender's study Bible, written by a scientist and a group of a board of scientists, all of them Bible-believing Christians. And the note for the dominion mandate reads something like this. The command here to Adam was to study the earth and its creatures. Thus, here we have the beginning of science and technology. And this mandate was beneficial for mankind, for the animal kingdom, and for the environment. God knew what he was doing in establishing this hierarchy of values and of authority. And he puts man at the very top of the whole order. And then you have the other forms of life under his dominion. So the dominion affects the fish and the fowl in the air and the creatures upon the earth and even the lizards and snakes that crawl upon the earth, every living thing, the vegetation, the, the vegetable kingdom as well. But notice there's one thing that is not included in the dominion mandate. Absent from it is any command of man to rule over other men. There's no command for any man to rule over other men. In other words, there's no government here. There is no authority given for government. God is dealing with 
an individual, then later his wife, Eve, and their children, a family. Now, the dominion mandate right here, if you study it and think through the implications of it, and this is where I need you to think with me now, if you'll think through the implications of this, this is the foundation of our rights, our natural rights as human beings. The founding fathers talked about inalienable rights. That's a right that is God-given, and it cannot be taken away by a man. No man can take away my unalienable rights. No man can take away, no government can take away those rights. They're also called natural rights. Our founding fathers had been reading a philosopher from England. His name was John Locke. And he was the one who wrote originally the phrase that's in our Declaration of Independence. He talked about that every human being is endowed by God with the right to life, to liberty. And John Locke, though, didn't say to pursue happiness. He says to own property. Every human being, when God created them, he created them with a right to live, with a right to have liberty to go and do in their life as long as they did not infringe on the rights of other people. And thirdly, he said the right to own property. Now, he got that from right here, that man is to rule and have dominion over the earth, over the physical universe itself. And so our founding fathers came behind him, and here's what they wrote. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Everybody ought to be able to recognize these are self-evident. That all men are created equal, that they're endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. The purpose of the government is to secure the rights of people, those natural rights, if you will. And there's a phrase that the founding fathers used. They said, among these are the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Among these implies that there are more rights than just the three that they listed here, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, when I look at the dominion mandate, I can discover that there are more natural rights that God gave to an individual than the Declaration even mentions. And let's look at it for a moment. It's in your Bible, Genesis 1 and 28. Don't ever forget what I've, I'm teaching you. It is vital to understanding what is happening in the world of today. The first great commission, if you will, and it is the right to life. God blessed them, and he said, now, it doesn't say life there, but go over to chapter 2 and verse 7, and we read that. It says it there, that God breathed into man the breath of life. And so God gives life. God is the only one who can give life. Then he gave later on what we call the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue of Moses. The sixth commandment there is what? Thou shalt not kill, meaning thou shalt not murder. You're not to take somebody's right to life. Is exactly what that means. Then there's the right to liberty, and God turned them loose in this beautiful garden that they call paradise. 
And he, he put no restrictions upon them. Pure liberty except for one, don't eat of that tree. Other than that, they had all the liberty in the world, this first group, because God gave them that right and the right to pursue happiness. And God gave them a purpose in life. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, have dominion, etc. But that's not the only rights that are here. Then he said, I'm going to give you the right to marry. That's certainly implied when it says back in verse 27, God created man in his image, male and female created he them. And I come over to chapter 2 and verse 18, and he says it's not good that the man should be alone. I come to verse 24, and God married them in a garden wedding, and then he, he said to them, I want you to cleave, cleave to each other, and I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to have children. Stop and think with me today. God gave people the right to marry, not the government. We think we have to go to the courthouse and get a certificate where somebody gives us permission to get married. We think so unscriptural. Now, there might be some purpose in that. I don't want to get sidetracked, but, but my point is the right to marry is a God-given natural right in the Bible from the dominion mandate and the right to have children. And in China, they said you can only have one child. See, they infringed on a natural right there. And then it says we have the right to work. Look at the words there in verse 28, subdue and have dominion. That's work. That's farming. That's tilling the soil. That's taking care of cattle. That's, and, and all the other work-related things that we could envision. And over in the New Testament, Paul says the right to work is so important that if any will not work, neither should he eat. If you don't eat, you don't live. And there's no command there to pay people not to work. You see, when you understand your Bible, you understand what's going on in the culture around you. A right to work, which means the government really doesn't have a right to infringe on my unalienable right to tell me that I need to lock down my business and I can't work. You say it was a pandemic. I don't care what you want to call it. I have an unalienable right given to me by God to go out and make a living for my family. And then there's the right to own property, to enjoy the fruit of one's labor. If I'm going to grow the garden, I might as well eat from it, huh? The right to own property. Do you know how endangered that is right now? I preached to you for seven or eight weeks from the book, The Great Reset. And I've had people write me on TV and saying, I want to buy that book. Don't waste your money on that thing. I, I, there's not a whole lot in it other than the title that you want to be interested in. <laughs> but if you want to buy it, you can buy it. It's written by a, name, a man named uh, Klaus Schwab. And The Great Reset, the globalist plan for the world by the year 2020, and I played for you from their own website, did I not, where the guy smiles and says, by 2030, you will own nothing, but you will be happy? Whoa. 
if I know my Bible, I have a right to own property. And they don't have the right to take that from me. And I'm going to be very unhappy if you try to take it from me. A dominion mandate. And so God begins with the individual, Adam, and he gives him these rights. Now, in chapter 2 and verse 24, we've already read it. God married the man and woman, I believe, in the garden and said, you cleave to one another, you become one flesh physically, emotionally, spiritually. And so, beside verse 2, or verse 24 of chapter 2, you may want to write the establishment of government or the family. Or not government, the family. God established the family here. The very first divine institution, Genesis 2 and 24. What was the purpose? Chapter 2 and verse 18. It's not good that a man should be alone. The first purpose of marriage is companionship. We need other people. We need other people. Companionship. And then, of course, there's other factors in mar uh, marriage. There's intimacy. There's reproduction. There is the reproduction, the, the birth of children, and then protecting those children, guiding those children, educating those children. All of that is implied there in those early chapters of the book of Acts. I want to, or, I, the book of Genesis, pardon me. My thought went elsewhere. Now, I want you to note something else. There are no other institutions at this point in history. There's no government. There's no government here. There's not going to be a government for a long, long time. There's no church here. The church was not founded until the book of Matthew, chapter number 16. And so we just have the family. God's original plan before the fall was that a family could take care of it all. And here's the families living for 1,800 to 2,000 years from creation to the flood, almost 2,000 years, no other institutions in society. Everybody's operating out of their family. Now, the families are related to other families, and they form tribes, but they get along fine. They're doing well until Genesis chapter 3. And what happens in Genesis 3? Sin enters. Temptation comes. The devil gets in it. And when... We come to Genesis 3, we have what we call the fall. Affected every single person. Through Adam, sin came into the universe. Look what happens in the next chapter, 4. A man murders his brother. Once sin comes in, we have a crime problem. We have men who cannot control their own passions and their own emotions. And so we have the first murderer. And then we come down to chapter number 6 and verse number 5. And I want you to notice how God describes culture, society at that point in time. God saw that the wickedness of man was great. Now, it had been growing for 1,800 to 2,000 years from creation up to the flood here. And God saw that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he even made 
men and women upon the earth. They became so wicked, every thought, the only thing they thought about was evil and wicked. And so the flood comes, chapter 7 and chapter 8. And the Bible says the flood came and took them all away. They all perished, as you know, except Noah and his family. By the way, you came to a church this morning that really believes that story. We believe that happened just like the Bible describes it. It's not a metaphorical. It's not some mythological thing passed down. No, this is the Word of God, and we believe it occurred just as described there in chapter 7 and 8. I know the ark was real. I went up to Kentucky and saw it not a few years ago. So confirm to me that everything about it is true, huh? Well, now, so we come down to the flood here. It's the judgment of God upon a generation that every thought that they have is a wicked thought. Sound familiar? Sound like anything you've ever seen or experienced or considered? And from the creation to the flood, 1,800 to 2,000 years, don't need government, don't need a church. Got a family, and God operates through that, but sin came and it begins to be despoiled. Instead, we go over to chapter 9, the flood is over, and the ground dries up and Noah walks off of the ark. And in chapter 9 and verse 6, God speaks to Noah. Here's what he says. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Now, I have a note in the margin of my Bible. Here is the establishment of government. So in Genesis 2 and 24, we have God establish the family, and in Genesis 9 and 6, we have God establish the government. So now we have the two divine institutions. What brought on the establishment of government? Somebody killed somebody. It's already happened once. No doubt the Bible says the earth was filled with violence before the flood, so there's been a lot of murders and assaults and so on. So now the very first thing God tells Noah when he gets off of the ark is what? If you kill somebody, if you shed people's blood, somebody will shed your blood because murder and assault is an attack upon the image of God, verse 6. To murder somebody is to deface and destroy the very image of God that is stamped upon that person. And so God says we need to give somebody the authority to bring retribution, to bring justice. What is the purpose of government? It's justice. It's that everybody be treated fairly, that everyone, that, that there is retribution for evil and the infringement of other people's rights. And so the purpose of the state, let me say it again, is to protect the rights of all the other people. I have liberty, but I don't have liberty to hurt you or to, to, to uh, walk on your rights. I should expect justice to be done. 
And I want you to turn with me now to the classic passage in the Bible on this. And some of you already know where I'm going, Romans chapter 13 in your Bible. But I want you to read it and see it for yourself because our times demand that we understand this. God established the government, the need to restrain sin and evil and violence and murder was the causation for the creation of government. And in chapter 13 of Romans, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. There is no power. The word power there could also be called authority. It's the same root word. There is no authority or power except of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever resisteth the authority of the state resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are, are not, should not be a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will you then be afraid of the evil, or, or, or afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and you shall have praise of the same. For the government official whether it be a judge or whether it be the police officer or whether it be the mayor or whether it be the president or the governor, he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if you do that which is evil, be afraid. Now, I remember as a little boy, I guess my mom and dad taught me such respect for law. I was afraid of a policeman when I was, when I was a little kid. It took me a long time to get over it. Any, were any of you like that? I felt very uncomfortable around the policeman. And, and you know, I thank God for that because it, it, they taught me such a deep respect that, that I knew that that guy could lock me up. I knew that that guy had authority in my life, and I, and I treated him with respect. And I was, I was a little bit timid around the policeman. Well, the Bible teaches that if you do what is evil, you should be afraid of him. And in verse 4, he bears not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, and his purpose, the purpose of government, he is to be a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for your conscience' sake. And for this cause, we even pay tribute. We pay taxes. So the Bible here clearly makes the case that the purpose of government God's original design of government is to punish the evil in society, to bring justice to bear, retribution upon those who do crime and who do evil, and then to praise the good. Well, that begs another question then. Who is it that defines what's good and what's evil? Who today in our culture, in our society, has the God-given authority to define what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad? What is righteous and what is evil? And the Bible is pretty clear about that or, because even in the early days of the Old Testament, they established these judges in Israel. The judge had the power to judge between people to say that's right, that's wrong. And our founders set up our country, and they put in what we call the judicial system, judges and juries and, and, and all these people that, that are supposed to bring justice to bear in our society. Now, the founders, they understood the Bible. 
and they, and, and they wrote that to secure these rights, this protection of individuals and families, governments are instituted among men. That's the Declaration of Independence. And James Madison understood the challenge of keeping a delicate balance here for government. And here's what he said. What is government itself? But the greatest reflections, the greatest of all reflections on human nature. If men were angels, no government would even be necessary. That's profound. Think about that. If people didn't have a fallen nation, nature, we wouldn't need a government. But if angels were to govern men, neither external or internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over other men, the great difficulty is this. You must first enable the government to control the governed, and in the next place, oblige the government to control itself. Would you say that's out of balance today? That government controls men, but it has very little control upon itself. And so God established the family, Genesis 2, 24. He established the government, Genesis 9, 6, Romans 13. The purpose of government is to protect the rights of the people and to administer justice when those rights have been abridged. And then the third institution, of course, is the church. And it doesn't appear on the pages of the Bible until we get to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 18, or 16, rather, verse 18, where it says that Christ said, I will build the church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church, and he did. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, though, in verse 15, I like the way the Apostle Paul described the church. He referred to it as the pillar and ground of the truth. What should the Florence Baptist Temple aspire to be? The pillar? The pillar holds up the structure. It ties the whole structure together. In our wall, there are pillars. Those columns up there have pillars in them. It holds up the roof, but it ties the whole wall together and the floor and foundation, it's all tied together with those pillars. And the church is the pillar of God's truth. It holds up the whole structure of truth. When we don't have any churches, who's going to hold up the truth? And then it's the ground. It sets on it. It's foundational. And when the churches fail, when the churches don't tell the truth, then what do we have? We have the whole structure of God's truth that's crumbling. The purpose of the church, to proclaim the truth of God through Christ in a culture that's filled with lies. We are the one institution above all others that's charged with the proclamation of truth. We found out you can't believe the media. We found out today you can't believe the government. There's not a crisis on the border. We found out today you can't believe the 
public health officials. We found out today, education, oh, teach the kids they came from lower forms of life. Genesis 1 is not true. Corporations, they control so much of our society. You know, I have a moral dilemma. I like Coke better than I do Pepsi. But I'm going to have to learn to drink Pepsi. And we're being lied to in social media. Every conceivable format of communication, so it seems. These three God-ordained institutions, each with their roles, each with their responsibilities, the family, to have dominion over the earth as individuals, to replenish, have children, to train those children, to guide those children in their life, the government to protect the rights, the God-given rights of individuals and to bring justice to bear on those criminal elements who violate those rights. And the church to hold up and proclaim the truth of God, each with their individual roles and responsibilities. And so that brings us to this. The relationship then between the family, the government, and the church is all important, and it's what's tearing us apart today in our country. You see, each of those institutions have divine authority. Jesus Christ said when he gave the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, he says, I have all authority. All authority flows from me. He says, there really isn't any authority except the authority that I have. All authority is from God. So the President of the United States, his authority comes from God. It comes from Christ. The head of the family, the parents, their authority is from God. The, the, the leader of a church, a pastor or a, a bishop or an elder, he has no authority other than the God-given spiritual authority that God has given to him. All authority flows from God. That means that all authority is delegated authority, that none of us, no human has any authority over anybody else except as delegated to that person by God and used in the way that God would have that authority used. Do you remember what Jesus said to Pilate? Standing there bleeding, crown of thorns, all disfigured and, 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 and his hands tied behind him. And he looked at Pilate who held his life in his hands, or so he thought. And Jesus said to Pilate, you would have no authority at all except it were given you from me. All authority is delegated authority from Almighty God. Boy, people need to hear that today. So each of these institutions have their lane and they need to run in their lane. Like a three-lane highway is the way I pictured. Family, 
government, church. But we have a problem today. When anybody gets out of their lane, there's a wreck. I was in Charleston Wednesday and Thursday, and I was driving down 26. You better not get out of your lane. Everybody's driving 85 miles an hour, and there's three or four lanes of traffic. You better stay in your lane, honey. But we got a bully on the highway. We got a wrecker on the highway today. It's called government. And it's wrecking society as we know it. In the book of Proverbs, there's a wonderful, wonderful principle found. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. It's morning time in America, folks, because we've got some wicked people who are in charge right now. They're trampling the very rights they were created to protect. That inalienable, unalienable right to life, that didn't apply to the 60 million kids we decided to destroy while they're still in their mother's womb. It didn't apply to the COVID patients that the governor of New York ordered to be put in the nursing homes. That man has blood on his hands. And we've destroyed God's design for marriage pretty much in America. We've redefined marriage. I just read where it's between a male and a female, but our government has said, no, it's between people of the same sex if they wish to. It's not Bill Monroe's opinion you ought to be upset about if you don't like that. That's what the Word of God said that, that God married a male and a female. We pretty well destroyed even the ability for people to work. The government says no. We locked them down. And hundreds of thousands of people have lost their livelihoods and their homes and their businesses and everything else because the government says you can't go to work. You can't go and operate your business. And the, our government has refused to protect property rights. So I watch at night on television, and rioters and looters destroy property and burn down the core of our major cities. And the guy reporting on it ha makes some asinine statement like, oh, that's a peaceful protest. Am I supposed to, does he really think I'm that dumb? But nothing changes. Now they're attempting to take away our Second Amendment rights. I don't think they know South Carolinians. They're attempting to destroy the very image of God in us because the image of God says that God made man male and female, not in 20-some genders. And they've infringed on our religious liberty by closing churches, closing them down. I mean, they've been closed down in California for a year. Do you know that? California, Michigan, New York, New Jersey, those kinds of places. Closed them down for a whole year. 
I've got preacher friends that haven't seen their congregation in one year. All they do is get online and talk to people. That's not church. And so it's a very dangerous time in history. Every imagination of their thoughts were evil continually. Less than 50% of our population now lives in a family with a, a, a husband and a wife, a father and a mother. The woke trend is sweeping like a wave, a tsunami across the churches of our land, replacing the preaching of the gospel of Christ with the social gospel and that kind of thing. It has no power to transform anybody's life. You ever met anybody who said, boy, I used to be a drunk, I was an alcoholic, I was a drug addict, I was a criminal, but you know what? I got into the social gospel movement and transformed my life. No. It takes the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ and the gospel. It's the only thing that has the power of God and his salvation. And our government now appears to be controlled by socialists, Marxists, and God-haters. And so Congressman Greg Stubbe the other day stood on the floor of the Congress and read from Genesis 1, the Dominion Mandate. And Jerry Nadler, the congressman from Brooklyn, said to him, interrupted him and shut him down and said, Mr. Stubbe, what any religious tradition ascribes as God's will is of no concern of this Congress. In other words, we've cut ourselves free from God and his word. And so that's where we are. I would like to talk to Mr. Nadler, and I don't mean that in some cute way to get a laugh. I would say to Mr. Nadler, I have a verse for you, sir, and for every other government official. It's found in Romans in chapter 2 and verse 5, where it says that people like you are storing up the wrath of God upon themselves. And, sir, I would not want to be in your shoes a few years hence because you are going to face an angry God for what you've done. And I'm not sure we ought to start preaching that to every single governmental official in the United States. That ought to be our message. You are not sovereigns. You are servants. And you are going to meet Almighty God in his wrath and his judgment for what you're doing to this country today. The battle is not conservative versus liberal. Some of you think it is. It's not Democrat versus Republican. Some of you think that is. The battle is very clear, very simple if you'll go to the Word. It is God's truth versus man's lies. God's truth versus men's lies. And succeeding messages, we'll look into it further. But get clearly in mind, three institutions that God established, your family, the government, to protect the rights of you and your family, and the church to proclaim and hold up 
and tie together God's truth and spread it across the universe. And the battle for us as individual Christians, as Christian families, and as a church, it's the same battle for all of us. Will we stand for the truth of God's Word going forward? Stand to your feet with me, if you will, please.